Wow. Isn't that wild? Mm -hmm. This here scares me. This, this one right here, Ed. The Raggedy Ann doll. Yes. That's probably the worst thing we have in this whole museum. That Raggedy Ann doll was given to a nurse in 1970 by her mother as a Christmas present. Mm -hmm. But as most girls do, even 28 years old, she would take the doll to bed with her, wrap her arm around and go to sleep. I'd do the same thing with a pillow. But then she started taking it to the breakfast nook where the arms one morning went onto the table. Mm -hmm. Now she lived with another nurse and they uh, shared the expenses of the apartment which was four blocks away from Hartford Hospital. Right. At that point they told the girls about the incident and one said, I know a medium. So they held a seance that night. Mm -hmm. That was the beginning of many seances with this doll. Uh, they would come home at night and uh, the woman had told them, the medium, that there was a spirit of a six-year-old child in the doll by the name of Annabelle, who had been killed outside of their apartment house. Mm -hmm. Well, there was such a child, but God does not allow a child's spirit to go into a doll. This was a devil, a demon, inside the doll, which was impersonating the spirit of a child. Well, they treated it like... Have you heard the story of and written on the wall? And everyone blood. has the different stories of oh, this happened to my brother. This. They start telling you stories of the old. There was this girl. It was back when we were little kids. To find out the truth regarding one of the most enduring tales in American lore. A story behind the story. Because it's just a story. Hello and welcome to the Just A Story podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Sam. And we're here to tell you a story. Each week we take a look at the stories we tell over and over again. What our fears and fables, myths and misdeeds say about us as humans. Welcome back all you lovely listeners. It's so nice to have you here. We've missed you. It's been such a long time since last week. It has. You know, we've got some even more awesome or awesome listeners to mention and thank. Like upper echelon awesome? Yeah. Okay. And one of those is Ginny Hachidorian. Okay. She did our story for... The Lie Detector? Yes. Well, wasn't that fabulous? And she has a new comedy podcast coming out soon you can check out. We also want to thank Lane Lloyd of the Sable Podcast, who has contributed his sweet, sweet vocal tones to our little endeavor here. Yeah, and he's the creator of the Sable podcast. So if you're looking for some scary stories, spooky stories, check it out. And you know, any of our listeners can get in on this upper echelon of awesome fans by reaching out to us and coming and telling one of our urban legends. We usually post on Twitter, uh, give a shout out to people. So if you are in the market to be a guest storyteller, follow us on Twitter at Just a Story Pod, and we will definitely let you know when we, you are needed. You're always needed. You are. We're so happy to have you. Uh, we also have another listener, um, Heather Martin Murdoch, and she sent us a bunch of great information about some Hawaiian urban legends. Like a dossier. I mean, it is thorough. I'm Thank you. I'm super excited like, about Like, I cannot get more excited about just a treasure trove of information like research is better than flowers everyone knows that we have a few people telling us some different urban legends that one La lorena has been requested a few times we have the headless motorcyclist in ohio and all of these are going on the docket we want yep. to do episodes about these are so much fun so if you have some local stuff you want to tell us about you can call us on the just a story hotline and that number is 512 Three seven five. And Will, you called and you started to tell us something really awesome. I can just tell. I can hear it in your voice. I know it's true. So you can call us back. You don't have to be. It cut off. Yeah, it cut <laughs> off. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so please call us back. Also reach us email, Twitter, all that fun stuff. And then just last housekeeping moment is that we are actively working on our second season of Audio Dime Museum. We've written an episode. We are working on writing a second episode. Almost done with that and it is super fun new setting new venue this season and a kind of a, a new frame story as well we're getting more in depth with the curator and finding out a little bit more about what is motivating her yeah so if you have not checked out our experimental historical storytelling podcast yeah say that three times fast no don't don't it's okay <laughs> you can check out audio dime museum for the first volume our season so sam Back to the story at hand. What's that? You know. What? The story. The urban legend. You know, oh, the yeah. Okay, got it. Okay, so yeah, dolls. Dolls are creepy. No, that's it. That's like what I've got. 
That's all you got. Dolls are creepy. I have always kind of been afraid of dolls. Like as a kid, I would never play with baby dolls, which if you know what a naturally warm and fuzzy and cuddly and nurturing person I am, that can be kind of counterintuitive. I know. Oh, we all know how cuddly you are. Right. And I, sweet. Mm-hmm, I was just busy watching Unsolved Mysteries reruns instead of playing with baby dolls. That was me. Hi, kids. You wouldn't know this about a child when you first got one. You would assume that they would behave normally. So my parents, for Christmas, when I was like two, got me a Cabbage Patch doll. And it was like a boy Cabbage Patch doll. And he was wearing like workout gear, like matching workout gear. And I like, was... Like yoga pants? No, like more like a, you know, a windsuit. Oh, good. Yeah. And is this why you hate exercising, too? Probably. It's probably all goes back to this. But they got me this doll, and I was terrified of it. It's I think its name was Michael. I never touched it, never played with it. It scared the shit out of me. Like, I would scream anytime I was near it. hated it. And one day, I was in the bathtub, and I was like, this is my first vivid, clear memory. I was in the bathtub, and my sister, who is 14 years older than me, this is not like a mean five-year-old, just so we're all clear, so I think she's around 16 at this time, runs by and throws the naked Cabbage Patch doll in the bathtub with me. And I like pressed up into the corner of the tub and started screaming my head off. My mom thought I was dying. She rushes in and try, like saves me from the Cabbage Patch doll. I think after that, it went in the top of her closet and I never saw it again. <laughs> oh, it's all becoming clear. Yeah. This is like therapy. I'm learning so much about why you are like the way you are. Yeah. Sorry. So the story that opened the show is one of the most famous doll stories. Well, it comes from one of the most famous crackpot teams in the world. The Warrens. They're kind of our role models. Like, don't you just want to be an old crackpot team with me? Sure. Sure. (laughs) Why not? Completely supported by the Catholic Church. Okay, well, we're not going to get that kind of endorsement, but... We do have our upper echelon of awesome fans. It's good enough for me. Good enough for me. So we're uh, minor league Ed and Lorraine. But anyway, Ed and Lorraine had a run-in with a creepy doll. Well, so, you know, let's talk about who the Warrens were. Okay, so the Warrens are a pair of paranormal investigators. They didn't call themselves that, right? Well, Ed's a demonologist, and uh, Lorraine is a trance medium and sensitive Right, and they were, like I said, like supported by the church. And Lorraine's still around and still supported by the church. Yeah. And they were like demon hunters. They were involved in Amityville Horror. Oh, which is a previous episode we've done. And they were also involved in the Conjuring House business that, you know, the Conjuring movie and the Conjuring 2. Yeah, now they have they have their own film franchise now. They're like superheroes. They are. It's like Captain America and the Warrens. Ruling the box office. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Doctor Strange is such a ripoff. They would go around to really severe cases of paranormal intrusion, and usually they believed it had something to do with demons, as they were God-fearing Catholics, and demons are usually the bad guys, and they would fix it. Right, and this is another one of their really famous cases, which was also a movie. Oh, yeah, it was. But this, this movie, unlike the other ones, really is not like the real story. Yeah. Like, the Conjuring movies are very based on, like, kind of what they said happened. All right, and, like, I want to point out that I believe that they are fantastically entertaining, but they are to be taken with a grain of salt, because at one point they tried to get a guy found not guilty of murder because he did it while he was possessed. So I think they kind of do cross the line occasionally from being, like, adorable to being like, Jesus Christ, y'all are crazy. It's like a werewolf story. We're going to yeah. we talk about that one day. Yeah, one day we will. But they are to be taken with a grain of salt, but, my God, they're entertaining. So Annabelle is the name of this movie. Right? But the real story is very, very different. So the real story starts out with a Raggedy Ann doll in the 70s, as so many stories do. That actually is kind of the least scary of dolls. I don't know. They've kind of got like a weird clown thing happening. Uh, Okay, okay. So if you're creeped out by clowns. Well, chlorophobia. Which, when I was a kid, I had a Raggedy Ann comforter, too. All making sense. Yeah. This mom saw a Raggedy Ann doll at a garage sale or something like that. And she purchased it for her daughter, Donna. And Donna was in nursing school and she was getting close to finishing up. And she lived with her roommate, Angie. And Donna brought the Raggedy Ann doll in and put it in the middle of her bed. Because it was kind of, I guess, a 
a funny thing, right? Yeah, I always think it's kind of funny. It's like, mom bought her kid a doll. No, the kid's like in her 20s. Right, and I think it's sort of just like a, a lark that it's there. Like, you would sleep, have a teddy bear or whatever. So then some things started happening with the doll. They would notice it moving or changing positions or ending up in different rooms in the house. They walked in and found it sitting cross-legged on the couch with its arms folded after it had been left in the room with the door shut on the bed. And then they found it standing on its feet, leaned against a chair. And then they'd find messages written in pencil on parchment paper, which they didn't keep in their home. Yeah, no parchment paper in their house. So I was already creeped out that they didn't have the paper they found messages written on. Really, really freaks me out. I just think it's great because it's like, I can just imagine, the, like, in my head, what's happening is the Raggedy Ann doll is, like, reaching into her apron pocket and taking out a scroll when they're not looking. But the messages said, like, help us or help Lou. And it was, like, in a small child's handwriting. And then one night, they found the doll on Donna's bed, but it had blood drops on its hands and chest. Of course, not forensically analyzed. (laughs) Something was on it. So the girls, being of sound mind, contacted a medium, as you do. And the medium had a seance. And the medium said that it was the spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins that was occupying the doll. And she lived on the property before the apartments were built. She was about seven years old. And they found her body in that field, the previously mentioned field before the apartments were built. And the girls felt bad for her, and they thought that she seemed like she was happy to be there. And so they said, sure, hon, stay with us. Yeah, come on in. Let's invite you in. Oh, that always goes so well. Yeah. So well. No problems with that. Uh, See episode, They Must Be Invited. So they had this doll. They had this doll. And they talked to some random medium. Some medium at large. Yes. Badamchish. Aww. And she's like, it's just a little girl spirit. And they're like, come stay with us, little spirit. I can't see anything going. No, it's all going to be great. Just tea parties from here on out. Ghost tea parties. Yay! Which are the best. But then we have Lou. Like the notes? Help Lou? Yeah, help Lou. Lou wasn't the biggest fan of Annabelle. Oh, I can't imagine why. He was Angie's boyfriend. And he just... Got some weird vibes off the haunted doll, which, I mean... It's just a little girl ghost. I mean, I don't know if I would buy in. Lou, Lou, chill out, man. It's a haunted doll, and you're keeping it in the house, and it does weird shit. And then they say, oh, no, Lou, it's fine. Everything will be fine, Lou, they said. I'm just going to, like, throw a guess out there. Things were not so great for Lou. No. One night he woke up to find Annabelle slowly gliding up his leg, moving over his chest, and then she began to strangle him. It's the worst wet dream ever. It is the worst Raggedy Ann story ever. Like, she doesn't have anything but fluff. She's just soft. How is she strangling him? Physics aside, (laughs) ignoring that and accepting that the paranormal element did happen, let's go forward. So the next day, he was still there in the house. I think he was like, oh, was a dream. I'd buy that. And then he's reading over some maps with Angie because they were planning a road trip. You know, okay, back in the day, people, before there was Google Maps on your phone and everyone had it, you actually had to look at a piece of paper with lines on it and interpret them in order to figure out where you were going to go while piloting a vehicle. Crazy. Crazy. But that's what they were doing. And he heard this rustling noise coming from Donna's room. And he went in and he found Annabelle on the floor. And he felt a presence behind him. And suddenly something clawed his chest and he started bleeding. Was it three claw marks? It was it was seven. Oh. <laughs> it was a set of three and a set of four. So are they lucky claw marks? I don't know. I'm not as familiar with the interpretations of claw marks other than three, which I have been informed by everyone on the travel channel or whatever means that it's demons. Right, Um, the three claw marks supposed to be a mockery of the Trinity. Because ghosts and demons are very clever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so healed almost immediately. Mm -hmm. 
Which means that it was definitely something supernatural, right? Yeah, no pictures, no one saw it. But I mean, it definitely happened. Definitely happened. If we're to believe that this story is true. Which we are. Because we're talking about <laughs> Maybe you are. I'm going with it. I've suspended disbelief in light of how adorable the Warrens are. <laughs> so, who are you going to call in this situation? Ghostbusters. Exactly. But not the new ones, because they are ruining my childhood. Oh, come on. No, I took Remy to see it. He loved Put it. Put your feminist pants on and deal with it. No, we wouldn't see it opening weekend. Yeah, and our son's obsessed with it. Unfortunately, they couldn't get the Ghostbusters, so they called a priest. Okay. I mean, fine. And his name was Father Hegan. He, I think he said, like, this is above my pay grade, basically, and contacted a guy named Father Cook, who eventually contacted the Warrens. To save the day. Here they come to save the day. And so immediately, Ed walks in, sniffs around for a second. It's like, demons! It's like his go-to. Yeah. You're like, I have a hangnail. Demons! Hey, there's... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He was concerned that the doll may have been possessed by an inhuman presence. And that the spirit manipulated the doll. Like, the doll wasn't actually alive. But the spirit would, like, move it around to fuck with them, basically. And it created the illusion that the doll was alive in order for them to begin to interact with it. And to, like, love it and let it in and all of that. Right, because it's using, like, a cute fluffy thing. And, like, gaining their trust. I'm just a little girl. No, I'm a demon. Tricky demons. <gasps> so the spirit wanted to find a human host. And he pronounced that these college students were de- experiencing the infestation phase of a possession process. Yeah. Which we talk about all of that on the Exorcist episode. You just you need to go back and get your notes. Come on. So yeah, infestation stage, and it's like getting recognition and trying to communicate and prey on their emotions. I mean, this is why there's such a rich history of demons possessing puppies and bunnies. Like the like the bunny from Monty Python or Bunnicula. Yes, definitely, definitely. So they had given it permission to haunt the apartment, which was a major problem. And so they did a little little exorcism. Ed says. Ed says so many things. Good things. Which, so by the way, the opening is him telling the story. Ed says so many things. And among the things Ed says, rather than specifically expelling evil entities from the dwelling, the emphasis is instead directed toward filling the home with the power of the positive and of God. Cool. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, I can see that too. So... The Warrens may or may not have a creepy museum in their house. I want to go. Right? And so when they got done with all this, they're like, it was crazy, possessed by demons, and it's the most dangerous thing in the world. We want to bring it home with us. Yeah. I mean, like, no reason. Uh, just just because. No, I think, you know, to keep it from harming other people, and they could pray over it and keep it in a lockbox. Or they could put it on display in their museum. Maybe. Um, so they put it in the back seat of the car. They also carried it out like wrapped in a blanket because they didn't want to touch it. There's a great picture of Lorraine with it. And with every turn, the car swerved and stalled, nearing collision repeatedly, they say. So Ed stops, quickly douses the doll with holy water, as you do. As you do. And I think he throws it in the trunk at that point, too. It stopped after the holy water. So quick fix, in a pinch, just put a little holy water on it. And once he got home, the doll would appear in different rooms in the house, and it would, you know, do a little light levitation work if it was feeling up to it. And one day, they found it sitting in Ed's easy chair. Oh, you do not do that. You do not sit in Ed Warren's Uh easy chair. Mm -mm. Uh Uh-uh. Okay. But yeah, so it did. So then a priest named Father Jason Bradford was visiting with the Warrens because, of course. They were having their, like, exorcist monthly book club. What do they read? I don't know. The Warrens. A Million books. Little Pieces? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just don't care if it's not true. It really touches my heart. <laughs> he was possessed. Obviously, it's demons. Calm down, Ed. It's not even true. I mean, Oprah was just... <laughs> anyway. We could do this all night, folks. And Father Jason Bradford takes Annabelle and says, You're just a ragdoll, Annabelle. You can't hurt anyone. And he tossed her down. Oh, <laughs> you also don't do that. And Ed replied, That's one thing you better not say. Demons! <laughs> After leaving, the priest had a near-fatal accident when the brakes failed at an intersection. Oh, no. Right? So they placed it in a special place in the occult museum. Yeah, it's like a little wooden box with talisman around it. There's a tarot card on it? Yeah. Oh, which one is it? Yeah, it's the death card. That's very interesting. Do you want to know? I want to know. Okay, so the death card 
doesn't actually literally mean death. It's usually like a signifier of change, but change that can't be avoided. So I find that to be an interesting choice. I know, it just seems like they picked it because it was creepy. I know. But there's also a big sign on it that says, like, don't touch. And it's like calligraphy. Yeah. I love it. And of course, it's got a glass front on it so you can see her. Oh, of course. Because, of course. So it was on display in their museum, and one day a young man came into their museum, and that probably means anyone under 50. He was a ruffian. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And he bangs on the case because he's a ruffian. Yeah. And he declared that the doll can't put scratches on people. And then he said he wanted to be scratched. Demons! And so Ed said, get out of my house, you ruffian! Demons! Does he have demon Tourette's? Yes, he has demon Tourette's. What else could explain it? And so, what are his motor tics? Like making the sign of the cross? And yes, throwing, and throwing <laughs> holy water on things. Yes, God, keep up. And so he kicked him out of the house. And when he was driving home, he lost control of his, guess. Motorcycle. Because he's a ruffian and he almost died. No. He, he did die. He did die. I'm he sorry. Died. He actually died. Well, I think Ed may actually have put a curse on him, but we're not going to get into that. If you just let him put holy water on it. Everything would have been fine. Demons. So, another great story from the case files of the Warrens. Demons! But it does really talk about just that these things like dolls, these child playthings, for whatever reason, can be really creepy. I remember walking on Magazine Street by a thrift store, and they had all the dolls that were used in American Horror Story. The second, no, the third the, season. Uh, the new one, New Orleans. Yeah. And they were all, like, lined up. <laughs> In the window. I was like, that is the creepiest shit I've ever seen. And it was in my like life. any doll, $25 or something like that. Really used in American Horror Story. Like a big handwritten sign similar to Annabelle's, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, that was a very creepy moment. And they were like, please touch and buy and get this out of my room. <laughs> they won't stop looking at me. And it, I mean, a doll. I think that we got to start with what a doll is. Okay. And let's start like we're in high school. Okay. Freshman English class. Okay. So should we read the definition from the dictionary? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good plan. Merriam-Webster says that a doll is a small model of a human figure, often one of a baby or girl, used as a child's toy. Well, that seems pretty clear cut. It seems extremely way too specific. What do you mean? We've used things resembling dolls for millennia. Yeah, and they have been playthings for millennia. They've also been used for other things as well. Oh, oh. Well, I think I think you're talking about poppets. Puppet? A puppet. A puppet. Yeah. Which I personally would consider like kind of like a doll. But they're not the same. They're not the same. A- but they're definitely in the same family. Okay, may I go a little freshman English? Sure. Merriam-Webster defines a poppet as a small figure of a human being that is used in sorcery or witchcraft. Good job. A plus. My voice is changing. Could you tell? Oh. I didn't know <laughs> girls really did that. Like, uh, Oh, I was being a, I was a high school boy. Oh. Did I not make that clear? Into the Brady thing. Yeah. Now, now we all know. So I would argue that a doll is a doll until it's not. Okay, so what would make a doll not at all? The intention. We talk about intention a lot. It seems to be a recurring theme on our show about themes. Well, it's, intention is extremely important. Right. So if you'll notice, a doll is used as a plaything for children, and a puppet is used in sorcery or witchcraft. So they could be the exact same object used for different purposes and be two different things. Right, I mean the lines are kind of blurred or it's almost like a, like a Venn diagram. No, they're two completely different things, but the thing is you can't tell them apart. Okay. So I don't think it's a Venn diagram. I don't think that's there's necessarily an overlap. I think it's like a doll is a doll until it's not. Like like it crosses the line. It crosses the line when it's used for sorcery or witchcraft, but how can you tell if sweet baby your daughter's baby doll has been used for sorcery or witchcraft and might accidentally have a little soul inside? Call the Warrens. Yeah, well, obviously. Demon. Demons. Demon Tourette's is fun. So isn't language amazing? Look at the difference between these two words. It's all the difference in the world. I mean, I love saying the word poppet. I do too. (laughs) Okay, so a poppet could accidentally be acquired and used as a child's plaything. Right, yeah, okay. And I think I'm going to go ahead and make an argument that maybe that's why dolls creep us out, is because they had a darker purpose and a different intention 
And maybe somehow in our cultural memory, that's all gotten mishmashed together. And so now when we look at them, we're like, those are witchy things. Oh, there's also some uncanny valley there. Oh, it depends on the doll. Yeah. Just the, they look almost human. Almost. And it's always so disconcerting. Why? Why would you surround yourself with things that look like tiny people? You know, when I think of poppets. Poppets. like dolls that are used for magical purposes. I mean, we're from Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously. Can't help but think of voodoo, voodoo dolls. dolls. yeah. But that is a whole other episode. We're going to have to do, like, the world's longest episode on voodoo. Y'all just buckle yes. up. It's going to be a long one. 5,000 hours. You can just keep going back in history. Back to the Egyptian times of Ramses and where you had a lot of his enemies using wax figures of the pharaoh to bring about his death. And, you know, if you keep doing that long enough, one day you're going to be right. Just saying. Just saying. That's kind of a tenet of magic skepticism. Okay, well, then you have Caroline of Brunswick. Who's that? She married King George IV. Good decision. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was known to make little wax dolls, little wax figures of her husband. Sweet. And shove pins in them. Sweet, okay. And she eventually ran off with her lover, and no one complained, but they stayed married. Hey, I I found these little wax dolls. (laughs) In the house. Uh-huh. Do you want to tell me about them? No. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, oh. Okay. Did you find the one with the head cut off or just the one hanging from the little rope or wh- which one? There was some singe marks on it. Okay. Um. Yeah. So don't look in the top drawer of the nightstand. So... You know, and there are other things like fetishes, which can resemble these, um, like West Africans had, that they brought over whenever they were enslaved. And, you know, it was to grant them power. Right. And here's a little indicator of how important these were. They're some of the only things they brought. And it was not necessarily meant to represent the person. It was a little figure that was actually possessed with the spirits, like ancestor spirits, etc., that were related to that person and connected to that person. So it kind of acted as like a binding agent, I guess. West Africans would wear them. And there was actually legislation in colonial America which allowed for any enslaved person found with a fetish to be immediately executed. Yay, history. We're so terrible. God. God. We're awful. So these are examples of what anthropologists would call imitative magic. Like the voodoo doll especially. What Caroline was doing especially. Uh, Ramses too, probably. Fetishes, I'm not certain, would fall in this category. Yeah, I think it it actually is a side category, even though it's mentioned in some texts that we read. I think it really kind of is a separate thing. Okay. But it's interesting and it is related. Because they are small human figures. Well, they aren't always. Sometimes they're... Animals. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a different thing. But these are, would be considered imitative magic. And imitative magic attempts to control the universe through mimicking of a desired event. A voodoo doll is an example of imitative magic. The voodoo doll is used as a symbolic representation of another person. A practitioner of voodoo may stick pins into the doll in order to inflict harm or put a curse on another individual. And then another fantastic example of imitative magic that was in the same anthropological text that I found is in the Babar Archipelago. You know Babar, right? The elephant? I have to think it's the same. (laughs) I have to think it's not. Okay, fine. (laughs) Ruin my day. So when a woman wants a child, she will invite a man from the community who has many children to pray to Upolero, the spirit of the sun. And a doll is made out of red cloth. And the woman puts it to her breast as if it's suckling. The man will grab a chicken. I didn't know there was chicken there, but obviously they've they've prepared for this. Grabs a chicken, holds it over the woman's head, and says, Oh, Upolero, make use of this fowl. Let fall, let descend a child, I beseech you, I entreat you. Let a child fall and descend into my hands and onto my lap. He then asks the woman if the baby is already there. And she says, Yes, it's already suckling. And then he holds the chicken over the husband's head, says another thing, and then kills the chicken, lays it out for sacrifice, and there's a baby. Hopefully. So that's where babies come from? That is, yes. But no, that is, that's a fantastic example of this. 
You know, I think a, another great example of these kind of poppets is in Greece. And these were called colossi. And they were used centuries ago. They were small figures that were used to retain a ghost or a dangerous deity. So in Greece, they were usually used defensively. Okay. So kind of contain a hostile force, such as like if you're having a battle and you feel like you're losing, you restrain Ares, the god of war. I bet Ares is not going to take too kindly to that. It would work if you did it right. What would he, could you let him out again? So it's binding. You would have to let him out. I just really don't think he would feel okay with this. I feel like he'd be really pissed once you let him out. I know. It'd bind other things too. Examples are like hope. Left in Pandora's box or vase or, or wingless victory. Okay. Uh, in Athens, she was wingless, so she couldn't leave the city. Oh, I love that, like, Piaget stage they're stuck in. You know, like, it's so literal. <laughs> it could also be used to bind lovers together or to restrain a rival lover. Oh, so if somebody's, like, skulking around your man, you just put him in a doll? Sure. So you would actually create these figures. They usually were... This is like in the beginning of the Titans. Oh, kind of, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Clash of the Titans. Yeah, um, sorry. The, the original. original. Ray Harryhausen's the man. So they weren't always lifelike, but they would have, you know, kind of like exaggerated features, like a lot of things in ancient times would have that were used to ward off evil or to have some kind of magic. Like you think of like fertility idols. Oh, okay. So they would have like bigger breast and yeah bellies and things yeah the dolls themselves or the puppets were twisted their heads were sometimes backwards <sighs> they would be bound <sighs> by different types of wire thread so they were truly doing this to the figures to bind the other people but interestingly sometimes they were used in funeral customs why would you need to use one in funeral customs so to kind of bind the ghost or the spirit of the person that's died. To what? To make sure that they go off to where they should be. Oh, so they don't wander around. Yes. So you okay. bind them so they so can... So you don't end up with a hobo ghost, hitchhiking ghost. Yes. Okay. So they go off to, you know, the land of the dead, Hades, etc. And do what they're supposed to do in sticks and coins and things. That was sticks with a Y and an X. Like the band. Like the band. But, or the river. Whatever. So that's interesting. These were made to put bad things in. Well, they were used for everything, but that was the chief use, was kind of defensively, yeah. Oh, I don't know why we think dolls are creepy. Can't imagine. So one would like to think that maybe we stopped associating dolls and death back in ancient Greece. No way. We didn't. Of course we didn't. We're terrible. So during the Victorian era, from the 1880s onward, really, there was an interesting shift in doll culture for this point in history dolls had been used as like learning kind of educational toys like to learn the woman's place and things like that like learn your maternal role but not just maternal there was some of that but they were really practical like the dolls would be introduced and the mother would be like let's sew a quilt or whatever and start with like a pillow usually was the most basic thing and then they do a quilt and they'd start doing clothes and so they teach their daughters how to sew and oh, weave okay. fabric and that kind of stuff and they encourage them to pick up these domestic skills that they would actually need in order to function in society but as the cultures became less agrarian and less independent and more industrial, a couple of things happened. Parents were more absent because they were working in sort of industrial jobs. And then also the play with dolls shifted to be more mimicking adult behavior instead of learning how to do the things you need to do around the house. Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of where I went in the first place. That's what right. I figured they were used for. So it would be like how to host a tea party, things like that. Like things you're going to need to know when you get out into this great big world. Also during the Victorian era, mourning with a U was sort of the coolest. Right, because Queen Victoria mourned. All into mourning. Mourned. She was the original goth. She was. Oh my God, you're so right. That's why steampunk and goth and oh my gosh. It's all coming it, it all makes sense. <laughs> it all makes so much sense. But yeah, so Queen Victoria mourned Prince Albert like for 50 years. and um, Pure black. and Right, but not just black. You understand there are stages. Of course. You start out in black, and then you can wear some gray, and then you just have to wear black trim, and you might wear... And then there's different phases to the jewelry. Like, at one point, you wear jet, and then at one point, you can wear silver. It's all very dictated, and there are, like, morning accessory catalogs where you can get commemorative 
items for your lost loved one. And there's hair jewelry. And there's... Do you want to know about hair jewelry? For more on hair jewelry... Please see Audio Dime Museum, Myrtles and Oleander Don't Bloom, episode three, I think. But anyway, hair jewelry. All of this is very much a thing. Like they sold little vials to people that were like incredibly ornate, like blown glass, and you would use them to catch your tears at the funeral. Oh, man. And then you would save it forever. That is so morbid. It's so morbid. But yeah, so this is the the hot thing. I feel like you can listen to emo music and wear black and catch your tears and write in your live journal. This is all very like early 2000s, like 2000s. isn't it? <laughs> like the beginning of every century we have to do this. This is all available at Hot Topic, by the way. Hot Topic has its own brand of tear vials. They're hand-blown, non-GMO, organic. <laughs> No, those are in Austin, sold at the artisanal tear collection stores. Of course. So needless to say, when the Queen of England is doing it, everyone wants to do it, and she did it for a long time. So the mourning thing really caught on, and this highly romanticized idea of grief and burial ritual kind of permeated this new burgeoning middle class in America. It really took hold in the South. We still kind of do things this way. We don't talk about it much but man we love a funeral it's true we are really kind of okay with talking about death and things in a way that most of the country isn't but we'll talk about that later the duties associated with caring for the sick visiting dying relatives preparing funeral garb and accessories all fell within the domestic ergo female sphere so if you're trying to learn how to be a good woman in the victorian era what do you need to know know how to host a good funeral exactly and how do you think that you might go about learning or practicing such a skill set killing children and having funerals that assuredly happened (laughs) i'm sure somewhere but in lieu of actual homicide you could always practice on your dolly okay i guess so so that was a thing that was a big thing Okay, so, like, they would have a funeral, kind of like a tea party? Yes. Really? Exactly. Like, French dolls, which were considered, like, the premier, most desirable dolls, were sold with a set of mourning clothes. Of course the French dolls were sold with mourning clothes. Life is bleak. What can I say? You will live till you are very old, and then you will die, if you're lucky. (laughs) It's all shit. But yeah, so the French were the pioneers. The fathers would make little doll-sized coffins for them. No. They would, and a lot of times the dolls would sleep in the coffins. It would double as the doll bed. (laughs) Oh, no. Because that's just practical. Of course. You don't want to go to waste. Right, and male children were invited to part in the play. Uh, They usually stood in as doctors for the sick doll and undertakers once the doll was dead, preparing them for burial. I wonder if I have repressed memories of doing this. You probably do. We had a cat wedding when I was a kid, but that's a different thing. Oh, or they could act as preachers and give the actual funeral service once the doll was soundly dead. And the girls would set up all the black morning garb that cover the mirrors they do the things you're supposed to do and they would act out the doll funeral and this was not just like some little closet weird wednesday adams thing like it was not considered morbid at all it was normal doll play and there was even a lot of fiction written for young women at the time as girls became more literate that centered on doll culture a lot of doll fiction was written around the victorian era like were the dolls alive yes oh my god yes like dolly in her own words oh that's so creepy it's also creepy and so like the dolls would have like fake memoirs and things like that oh but there are a lot of stories about dolls getting sick and dying because people were yeah and so it was like a way to deal with grief and it encouraged like this kind of play and yeah so that was a thing that happened oh and interestingly one of the key factors that they really hammered home to people to girls who were playing with dolls and doing these funerals was the division between the body and the soul so like it's just dolly's body that's here her soul has gone to heaven when did dolly have a soul that worries me i know it's so freaking creepy when did dolly have a soul that's what i want to know i want to write back in time and be like um beg pardon when did dolly have a soul so, you know, we, we're talking about all these things in the past tense, but there are actually a lot of very, very recent stories about dolls used in this manner. Crazy doll shit? Crazy doll stuff. It's Yay! insane. 
Ones related to binding spirits, to funerals, to mourning, to treating the sick. To good luck? Yeah. You want to talk about the good luck first? Let's do good luck first. Okay. And we'll go back to the death. Okay. Please pardon this brief interruption if you've only tuned in to hear us talk about death. I'll try to make it creepy. So in 2016, that's this year. That's this year. <laughs> that's right now. Oh, God. So they're the Lukthep dolls. Lukthep dolls. And that's in Thailand. And they are good luck dolls. And so Lukthep means child angels. They are very lifelike. So Thailand is a mostly Buddhist country. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of superstition and animism and astrology and magic that kind of coexists and co-mingles with the Buddhism that they practice. So like voodoo in New Orleans and Catholicism kind of thing? Yes. Okay. And so these people in Thailand have been having a really rough time of it recently. Okay. It has been a coup that lasted about two years. Yeah. Economic depression. Okay. And so people are really looking for something that's positive. They need a win. They need something good. And so these dolls are what they found. I think I may need a doll. Maybe so. (laughs) After Uh, the RNC, I think I may need a doll. (laughs) So they are treating these dolls as very lifelike dolls, just like children. Okay, so like how much do these cost? Like what do you... Oh, like they can cost up to like 800 US dollars. Okay. I'd rather have a handbag, but whatever. So very similar to the poppets and things we've talked about, they are taken to Buddhist temples Mm -hmm. to be blessed by monks. The monk blesses a doll. Yes, because it's the Pluksek ceremony. And it's an anointing ceremony. And it's a normal thing in Buddhist religion. They do it frequently amulets. But you can also bless a... Oh, okay. So this is just like taking something to a priest to have it blessed. Like getting a metal blessed or... Okay. Exactly. Okay, so it's not like... Bless a home, bless a car, things like that. Garden variety blessings. Right. But the hope is that a benevolent spirit will possess the doll. Oh, good. And bring them good luck. Benevolent. No demons. Demons! <laughs> no. <laughs> like Annabelle, the little girl from the field who was murdered. Yes. Just non- yes. like, just like that. Okay, got it. But people were in love with these dolls. It is a huge thing. Airlines are trying to charge people for seats for these dolls. Restaurants are offering menus for these dolls. And they can order off the children's menu. Is it like a, is it fake food? No. It's real food. Yeah. Is it bad luck to eat your doll's food? I do not know. Because I would just order from the kids' menu, and I would just eat it. Like, I get the toy, too. Woo! Wait, oh. but you already have the toy. <laughs> Is it a mini Luke Thumb doll? <laughs> children's dinners will come with mini Luke Thumbs. And then, like, you're bringing the, doll, like, the dolls you got from the children's menu back to the restaurant, and they're ordering food. It's a scheme. It's, it's like, genius. It's genius. You know, people are... Saying that these things are great, positive things in their life. One woman is quoted saying, my life has changed a lot for the better. When I hug her, I know it's love. I tell her I love her all the time. But, you know, the Thai government's kind of worried about it. (laughs) I kind of think it's okay to be a little worried about it. So the deputy director general of the Department of Mental Health said that during an economic downturn, these sorts of things are exacerbated. In previous years, they had another economic downturn. It was amulets. Everyone had these amulets. Okay. Buying. She said that there's always been groups in Thai society that hold such beliefs and economic worries only help to heighten these beliefs. These people do not have mental health problems, which I agree about. This is not a mental health issue. This is a religion superstition issue. Okay. But the problem is people are spending money they don't have on these dolls. Because like, you have the initial buy-in and then I'm sure that they buy them stuff like food <laughs> and definitely. airline seats and clothes and, you know, accessories, etc. Yeah, definitely. It's a huge business, which I guess if you think about it. Hey. Job creators. Yeah. They should run for president. Uh, the dolls. <laughs> one monk is quoted as saying that he had blessed them with 30,000 dolls in the last year. Holy shit. Holy dolls. <laughs> Holy something. Whatever. That's crazy. But you know, I, I do have to say, they did find one shipment of dolls filled with drugs that were oh, coming no! into the country. Oh no! I was like on board. I thought this was like just pure like There's always going to be some asshole taking There's advantage some, of things. Some asshole. Oh god. Okay. So back to death. Back to death. As per usual. So have you ever heard of a reborn doll? Unfortunately. Yeah, so a reborn doll. 
Let's start at the beginning. So back in the 17th century, dolls were usually carved from like a single piece of wood and they would have their features painted on. And then in the 19th century, they started to be made from things like vinyl or wax, porcelain, still made of porcelain and vinyl. I don't think we have wax anymore. Not in the South. I'm melting. It would melt. With the vinyl, wax, porcelain trend, dolls started becoming more lifelike and more realistic. And when people realized they could make them look a little more realistic, some people decided that they should make them look as realistic as possible just to freak the rest of us out. Sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. So in the mid to late 80s, when lots of weird shit was happening in the world, people started doing this thing called reborning dolls. Please tell me what that is. (laughs) (laughs) You sure? Morbid curiosity. Okay, so they'd get a baby doll, like usually a vinyl one, and they'd hack it up. Oh, good. They'd cut off its limbs and head. What would psychologist Freud have to say about Freud, that? Freud would just weep. What would Freud say? He would weep. <laughs> That's our thing. WWFS or WTFS? <laughs> what the, the fuck, fuck would Freud say? <laughs> he would weep openly. So they would cut the dolls up and then they would start removing the factory paint from the dolls and they'd take out their eyes and they'd take out all their hair. So they'd like Ed Gein these dolls. They'd Ed Gein the dolls. And then they would start like crafting even more, which could be just stage like level two Ed Gaining. I'm not sure. But they'd start by like applying up to 12 layers of paint to the limbs and head to make them look more lifelike. Because if you're going to match a skin tone, you have to have lots of layers of color. You're the artist. Okay. Well, yeah, you do. People are not one color. That's not a diversity. That's, I was gonna say since I got go. That's not a diversity yeah. statement. It's like just a, like is that a lyric from Michael Jackson? No, people song. are not one color. You're like seventeen colors. It don't matter if you're black or white. Well, you are never black or white. No one is ever black or white. We are all brown. I'm just talking about art. <laughs> <laughs> We're all brown. We're all shades of brown. Why don't you believe me? I believe you. We all have complementary colors mixed under our skin, so we're all brown. I was just thinking of that awesome rap part of black and white. That's where I was. Would you please join me? (laughs) We were dissecting a baby doll. Oh, I'm sorry. Back to the dissection. Well, no, we're we're now at the the cosmetic upgrade. Okay. (laughs) Like, this is a custom shop at this point. So actually, yeah, it's a lot like customizing a car. You got to strip all the factory stuff and, you know, start from the bottom. Okay. So they would like apply their 12 layers of paint and then they would wig the dolls, which is where they would put in like one strand of hair at a time. And a lot of times they'll use like a Dremel or some other kind of drill, like make enough holes so they can get a realistic covering of hair. And then they'll add details like eyelashes and um, fingernails. Oh, and then they insert eyeballs that are weighted more like real eyeballs and they're like hand painted. Then they'll put sometimes put weights in the doll to make it feel more like a baby. Like they'll add like BB pellets. It varies depending on the artist. And won't they add like heartbeats mm-hmm. and breathing to yeah. them to where yeah. they look extremely lifelike? Yeah, and some of them even put heaters inside the dolls so they feel warm. No. Yeah, they do. And they'll like affix magnets inside their mouth so they can have pacifiers or Do they cry? No. Hmm. No, they don't. They do everything real babies do except everything real babies do. Like cry, eat and poop. Yeah, like those things. Nothing else that eats or shits in this house. That's a quote from your sister. Yeah. So then they reassemble the doll and dress it up and they send it out for adoption. Okay, so we have this ultra realistic doll. Yeah, like Google it and cry. It's disturbing. It really is. And they're called reborn dolls. Reborn dolls. So why are they called reborn dolls? Like, what are they used for? Okay, well, I think they're called reborn dolls because they would tear up a baby and it would be born over again. Like, I think that's where that comes from. But when I heard it, I, like, immediately thought grieving parents. Like, and that's probably just because I'm morbid. So, like, I can't be right, right? I think you're so right. Oh, God. I hate when I'm right. It's never good. There are people in this world that do adopt these babies and treat them like they're children. And if any of our listeners are avid Reborn fans, we're sorry. Hey, give us a call. Let us know what you think about this. Because I find it extremely interesting. I just have a really hard time understanding it. That's all it is, is a lack of understanding. There's definitely a... A weird factor to it, but I think I think most people, from what I've read, get that. Like they people get that who are like into it, get yeah, that it's weird. They get that it's weird. Like they're not bringing their dolls out everywhere with them. They're usually keeping them at home. One interview I was reading was with Catherine Barnes, and she owns like ten reborn dolls. 
And that's one thing she said. Like, she doesn't bring them out. She knows people would find her weird or them, you know, odd. And that it's not kind of, you know, in the normal sight. She thinks it's okay to have them, of course. Way to read the room, Catherine. Yeah. Way to read the room. But, you know, she's really interesting because she got a lot of flack because she posted a lot of stuff online. Oh, well. <laughs> well, people do. She would wear fake baby bumps once she ordered the baby and was waiting for it to come. She would create these fake ultrasound pictures and have her, you know, look reborn pregnancy role play where she would post photos online of like her getting tests done and the hospital room where she'd go into labor. It's just like people just really lashed out at her. She had to get off of social media, which is a really interesting case because she's studying to be a special ed teacher mm-hmm. and her and her wife plan on adopting kids in the future, especially kids with special needs. So she will probably not experience pregnancy or she's not planning to not planning to i mean you never know she actually has dolls that have been created that have down syndrome that's very interesting it, it, it really is interesting because it's something she's like kind of able to put her energy into and if she does go on to adopt down babies that's amazing that's great goddamn good for you there's so much writing on the importance of having dolls that look like you like as a child and like how affirming it is and like how it affects self-esteem and all this stuff like you can go read literally volumes on this there's tons of research and it seems to be very important so it's interesting that like this is such a niche market and it's such a you know like it takes so much customization and you know she's had to seek this out like this in order to find the dolls that look like the children she wants to help it's really interesting. I have to say that I think that the romanization of pregnancy is hard for me. Like, wow, that wasn't fun. Yeah, like, oh my God, my pregnancies were both horror stories. Like, no. And I don't mean just because, like, I had weird cravings and stuff. Like, they were actually scary. And so, like, to just be like, it's so fun. It really kind of, like, but then I hate glowy pregnant women, too. One of the parts that really kind of hits, hits home with me or, you know, I find interesting just because of what I do every day is that many women use this after miscarriages to help with their coping from the grief. And they'll have dolls commissioned to look like the children that they lost. Oh, my God. Isn't that sad? It is. One woman. It's so fucking sad. Hold on. I need a second. It's so fucking sad. You know, one woman, Sabrina McKenna, talked about having a miscarriage at 32 weeks. God damn. Yeah, she had to labor. She brought the baby home for the night before the funeral. And after she was in severe depression and she would just sit in the baby's room and look at the things she'd bought him. And you having this doll was helped her kind of cope with that and helped her move on from that. And she, you know, once you have have all that pent up energy. Yeah. You know, you spend future and months of your life, like almost a year of your life thinking this is what you're going to do, planning for it, adjusting, making arrangements. And then when it doesn't happen, it's like, what do I do? Just go back to normal life? Right. How do you do that? It's impossible. It's impossible so, to suddenly go back to life. Again, it's like, you know, it's weird. You know, it's it's odd. It's different. But it's like, wow, I get it. I do get it. I don't think I would do it, but I do get it. Yeah. And Sabrina uh, said that you know, my reborns made me happier than I'd been since my son died. Being able to hold them in my arms helped me feel an empty arm feeling that only a mother who has lost a child will understand. But, you know, one psychologist made a really, I think, important point, And she said, when you've mourned your child, what do you do with the doll? Do you bury it? Again. Again. Do you bury it again? And it's like, where does that mourning stop? And that's my concern with it well i do like i was looking at the quotes like i'm looking at our our outline here and i noticed something i think is important like when i looked at the quote from sabrina she said since my son died do you know how hard that is to say oh i can't just i don't like the way she phrased it not like since we lost him or since god took him back or like it's it's very matter of fact it kind of indicates that there is some level of having dealt with it right but where does it end i don't know and what, what do you do with it? Do you keep the nursery with the baby in there and just not open the door? I mean, it's like a little ghost in your house. It really is a constant reminder. I'm all for people dealing with grief however they need to. And I know like no two people grieve the same way. And if this helps, you hate to say it's a bad plan. But God, it's like it's so complicated and so tenuous. And 
it's scary to think about being like trying to empathize, I guess, is, is really scary. So there is another use for these dolls. Okay. And this is something that's been used everywhere. It's really popular in the UK from what I've read. It seems like most of this is happening there. A lot of the reborn stuff is in the UK. Like yeah. from, from what I was reading about just the history and like where the people are that are doing this, is, you know, their profession or whatever. It seems like there's a good community there. But they're using these dolls with Alzheimer's patients. Okay, so what's Alzheimer's? Alzheimer's is a form of dementia. It's very slow-moving most of the time. It usually affects older people where you start to lose your memory. That loss of memory really creates a feeling of disorientation. And probably anxiety. And with that anxiety, yes, okay. very much so. So it's and a fearful, can... anxious... Yeah, it's terrible. You can't remember what happened yesterday. You can't remember your kids. Things come and go. It creates anxiety. It can create patients that are really hostile. Well, yeah. Because Wouldn't of Wouldn't you this. be? Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. And so people have started using these dolls in a therapy way with Alzheimer's patients as something that can be a kind of comfort to okay. them. And so it is still in an anecdotal way. There's been a few studies on it. There was one in 2007 called Using Dolls to Alter Behavior in Patients with Dementia. God, you're so creative with your titles in the medical community. I just want to commend you all. Yeah, well, if you have to search it in PubMed, you want all of the keywords to be there. Okay, fine. Even people that come with the creative titles, it'd be like creative tile colon (laughs) keywords. I'm I'm in support of those. Yeah, those are the best. But it was, they had a self-selected group of users, which I found interesting. What they did was they take, like a nursing home, like a dementia ward, which is a terrible way of saying it. They call it like memory things. But they would place the dolls just like in chairs in the common room, which first of all, that's creepy. You oh, just walk like you in walk the in the common room in the memory loss ward and there's dolls sitting in all the chairs. But so people would go and choose the dolls. People that were interested in them. Okay. choose them. So it's a self-selected group, which is interesting. More women chose it. While you might say, oh, that's obvious, it was not necessarily women that had kids in the past. So not mothers. Or- no, it was just women in general. That's very interesting. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people like to say this is like a form of reminiscent therapy where they're able to kind of remember the good times and remember when they were a mother and remember when they held their baby. But actually, statistically... Any woman would be interested in this. Oh, from the study, you mean? I would argue that women in general probably have more experiences with babies, especially the elderly population, just because that's something that's in the domestic sphere. And that even if you're a woman who chose not to have children, you probably had more encounters with young babies than most men did. Yeah, especially if you go back like 70 years. Yeah. The study showed that it did increase positive behavior and help decrease negative behaviors and incidences of aggression. That's very interesting. Sometimes there would be the, like arguments over ownerships of the dolls, and they definitely could not have dolls that would like cry or anything like that because that could create anxiety. And sometimes people would get like too attached to the dolls, and they'd find that they tucked the doll in the bed, and they would go like sleep in the chair. Things like oh, that. like in their room, they'd yes. give the doll the bed, and they'd take the chair. Oh, honey. And so in one nursing home in Manchester, the Rose Court home, in their reminiscent room, like therapy room, there's actually a nursery. Like a neonate nursery kind of thing? Well, so you can go and pick up the dolls and rock them and have time with them. I think that's probably pretty healthy. Like, I actually, that doesn't freak me out that much. Yeah, and like I said, sometimes you get those aggressive behaviors in, in later stage Alzheimer patients. And this was shown in some homes, kind of anecdotally, to decrease the use of psychotropic drugs, the drugs you'd use to kind of sedate people. So they would give them a doll instead of drugs? No, just using the doll in general. It decreased the amount Right, of it wasn't like, you're, having, you're being very aggressive, have a doll. <laughs> so, okay, that's what my mental image was, and I loved it. They were like throwing a doll. Hugs, not drugs! Hugs, not drugs! But there were some tips for doll therapy that I found. Oh, good, good. So, don't call the doll a doll. Oh, what do you call it? By its name. Oh, you give them like a bassinet or a crib, so somewhere to put the doll. No crying dolls. And do not force the doll on anybody because. <laughs> I'm sorry, the middle image I have of the doll being forced on people is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, Take the doll. Like rubbing it on people. Like, it's slowly climbing up your leg. <laughs> yes. 
Like, I'm just, like, trying to touch the doll to them when they're not looking. Like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> Do not force the doll on anyone. So it's interesting. You know, it's, it's an interesting idea that these could be used to treat different kind of psychological problems, medical problems, such as, like, grieving or also, like, dementia. I think that's incredibly interesting, and I'm going to go out on a limb like I like to do and say that medicine probably is the closest thing we have to culturally agreed upon magic. Definitely. In this day and age. In a way. Like, it's like magical thinking. Like, if you go to a doctor, they're going to be able to fix it. Because we can. Right. Everything. We have science. All of it. But there's science. Science. Don't forget about that. But psychology does have an element of magic to it. I think it's really interesting that these dolls have been used in witchcraft and sorcery since the dawn of time. And now we're going to say like our modern sorcery magic has been like, you know what? It might be good. Dolls. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they've been used in funeral rites and from Greece to Victorian era to now. Speaking of funerals. Oh, Sam, do you have a creepy story? A real one? Not about some creepy doll? I might. Um, well, that's kind of a hmm, matter of opinion. Okay. I'm guessing not a Raggedy Ann doll. No. So, in 2011. All these stories are way too recent. I know. There was a man named Anatoly Moskvin. Sounds Russian. Is Russian. Oh. You get a cookie. And he was a 45-year-old historian who specialized in Celtic culture and cemeteries. Oh, I can see this going well. He had a PhD, like a real guy. Yeah, because all the PhDs I knew were super normal. No, but a real person, like a accredited person, not some guy with a sign on the street, right? Yeah, because all the PhDs I know okay, are super Okay, fine. Normal. I gotcha. Whatever. Okay. So he'd been fascinated with cemeteries since he was a boy. And he lived in... Oh, I'm going to butcher it. You ready? I'm so ready. Nivzdi Novgorod. Somewhere in Russia. He lived in Russia. So when they kind of found him walking down the street with a bag of bones. Now, I could not find more information on that, but it gave them... Pause. Pause and cause to search <laughs> his apartment. When they searched his apartment, they found 29 life-size dolls. Oh, so he was like into dolls. Made of mummified female corpses. Okay, that's different. And then they found one in the garage. Oh, it must have been bad. It was in timeout. The police have been investigating numerous grave desecrations in the area for about a year prior to this. When they walked in, they were like, it all makes sense now. I imagine it was like the end of the usual suspects. Oh, yeah. This is definitely like the twist in The Kaiser Soze moment. And so they walk in and they found all these dolls seated on shelves. There was one sitting on the sofa. And they were in small rooms with books and papers, which, yeah, the guy is a PhD. What do you expect? And all the dolls are dressed in the clothes that they were buried in. Their faces had been covered with masks and or painted and one had the head of a stuffed animal sewn on and some of them have music boxes inside their rib cages what wait no just no what do you mean okay so he would put a music box in their rib cage Mm -hmm. and he would be able to turn it on i guess like i guess the thing stuck out Oh and you could wind could them. wind the doll. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm here. <laughs> uh, most of them were children, girls, no boys. And they also found nameplates taken from headstones, cemetery maps, and instructions for making the dolls. Now, I couldn't find more information yeah, on that either. Like, I don't know if he was, like, writing a book. You know, if this is his, like, if he had an academic clearance <laughs> to write a book. And these were just, like, his notes. Or if he'd found these elsewhere, I can't, I don't know. They found that his shoes matched footprints that had been found all over local cemeteries. Like they needed that evidence. (laughs) So, okay, I need to know why. Why? (laughs) Like, why? What was wrong with this dude? What the hell is going on? I need to know why too, darling. I don't know if there is a good answer, but let's let's try. Well, there there's some talk that he may have been a, a paranoid schizophrenic. I buy that. People said that they'd noticed he had some like quirks. He's a weird guy. He's a weird guy, but I mean, he was a necropolist. What do you want? And I think they just thought he was like a kooky professor and whatever, and averted their eyes. But 
Yeah, it seems like he may have had a touch of the paranoid schizophrenia. Was it like a necrophilia thing? No, 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 no. He was very clear about that. He was not motivated by sexual desire. He loathed sex and thought it was disgusting. He was allegedly like raped when he was a child, and then he was forced to kiss the face of an 11-year-old dead girl at her funeral. Note to self, do not make our children kiss the face of any dead people. Especially children. Got it. Apparently that's very traumatic. Here's another fun part of the story. He shared an apartment with his parents. Oh, so they were just like, look at these dolls. He's so quirky. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. Actually. But they didn't know they were dead bodies. No. No, they didn't. They thought it was a hobby, is actually what they said. They just thought it was a hobby. He had instructions. He had instructions. He must have gone down the Hobby Lobby. Who knew? So, yeah, they didn't know. And he would always, like, go and get the bodies when his parents were out of town. (laughs) So discreet. Okay. Yeah. Discretion. Um, And he's offered various explanations to answer your why question. He says, I was waiting for science to make these girls live again. Thanks, Mary Shelley. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Mary Shelley, for that. And Walt Disney for being cryogenically frozen. That's another episode. Yeah, that's another episode. And then he says, I wanted to be an expert in making mummies. Apparently, he's into hands-on learning. And then he says, I listened to what they said. Often, they would ask me to take them out for a walk. Who would ask him? The, the dead girls. Um, he would take them out for walks? Okay, so he would go and lie on top of the graves of the dead girls. Okay. Before exhuming them and make sure that they had a good connection. Okay. And I think if they ask him to take them out for a walk... What they actually wanted was for him to dig them up and bring them to his house. Okay. I think. I yeah, think. I think that's a good read. And at a court hearing, he charged the parents with this gem. You abandoned your girls in the cold. I brought them home and warmed them up. Okay. So he he's taking these children's bodies mm-hmm. and turning them yes. into dolls. Yes. Okay. So who are some of these kids he stole? Well, one of them was a 10-year-old girl named Olga who had been the victim of a murder that remains unsolved. And he left an anonymous note on her grave. This is after he stole her body. Yeah, but before her parents knew about it. And it said, Little lady, congratulations on finishing sixth grade. Keep growing as kind, smart, pretty girl. We are proud of you. Come visit us. And sorry for the mistake. The jacket is hidden behind the rafters. What the fuck? So he was, like, talking to them. He thought they were still alive, having their normal life. Yes, like, he would congratulate them on finishing every year of school or anytime they had a birthday. A lot of times at the beginning of the year, he would leave notes, like, commenting on their progress as if they were still experiencing life in a normal, living, alive way. He would leave, like, little toys on their graves and steal things from other children's graves And put them on their graves. And he left a note once on Olga's grave that said, If you do not erect grand monuments, which she deserves, we will dig her body out. Fun fact. Body had already, yeah, Yeah. that had already happened. (laughs) Yeah. After placing a headstone, after the note was left, demanding that there be a headstone, he destroyed it with an axe. So what did the parents do when they found out about this? They kind of lost their shit and i would have lost my shit too olga's mother says we'd been visiting the grave of our child for nine years and we had no idea it was empty instead she was in this beast apartment and he then she went on to say i had her for 10 years he had her for nine wow it's terrible so what happened to this guy he's deemed crazy that's true yeah and put in a psych facility that's not a stretch directly across from olga's mother's house No. Yeah. No. Yeah. So every day when she's washing dishes, she can look out and see the psych facility where he is. What a twist. What a twist. What a twisted fuck. It's more like it. So he really was using these bodies kind of in that way. He was creating dolls out of the magical things that he thought were still alive. Oh, yeah. And he was obsessed with death and dying in cemeteries. he he, He thought he was binding their souls to these dolls, to him. Oh, yeah. Because there's no reason to be creeped out by dolls. Yeah, that's just a story. 